0: Jesus went to the territory near the town of Caesarea, Philippi, when he asked his disciples, Who do people say the son of man is? Some say John the Baptist, they answered. Others say Elijah, while others say Jeremiah, or others, or some other prophet. What about you? he asked them. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Good for you, Simon, son of John, answered Jesus. For this truth did not come to you from any human being, but it was given to you directly by my Father in heaven. And so I tell you, Peter, you are a rock, and on this rock foundation, I will build my church, and not even death will be be will ever be able to overcome it i will give you the i will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven what you profit prohibit on earth will be prohibited in heaven and what you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven then jesus orders his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the messiah Over to you, Trevor. <laughs>
1: Wonderful. Sorry, I wasn't quite sure what was happening. And thank you so much, Hannah, for reading. That was uh, that was terrific. I, I, I'm grateful to you for doing that. Uh, shall we just pray? And uh, we come to you, in our Lord. We come uh, to reflect on your words. May this be your new word to us today. May what we take from this moment be. Uh, not uh, a human word not human insights but, but may what we take and what we own uh, having listened having tested be what you you want us to take from this morning and we pray this in your name amen so yeah thank you again uh bernice and, and sharon for your welcome it really is a privilege it does feel a bit like you know home, home from home to be back uh with you and uh I'm still in touch with Tim uh, uh, as well, and and just lots of fond memories of of times that I've shared sort of physically uh, with you before uh, as well. Uh, And thank you as well for making me think about these uh, challenging words which we find in Matthew 16. And I think you mentioned, Sharon, that you've not heard this story preached on before, and I haven't preached on it either. I, I, I went back and looked through some notes, to see if I had anything on this, uh, and, and I didn't. But um, being made to reflect on this has been uh, a real uh, a privilege and a help to me, so, so thank you. I want to talk about Matthew 16 in just a minute, but uh, a story, first of all. And uh, it goes back to many years before I trained for ministry. Uh, I worked with Reuters the financial information provider, I was there for almost 10 years, so long enough a period of time to be able to form uh, a good working relationship with people, friendships with people. Uh, And one of those who I got to know best was uh, a colleague who was around the same age as me, so we were probably part of what felt like the same cohort, you know, we we joined at the same time, we got married at the same time, had our children, and uh, there was always lots to compare notes on, uh, and in spite of various transfers we had, we were quite often um, close to each other in terms of desks. Another thing that we shared was uh, a love of football. Uh, And uh, I I have to say that over the years, we probably spent more time discussing that subject than uh, was really appropriate for conscientious employees of the company. But uh, that's by the by. I, I can still remember the occasion though, when he spoke to me about how gifted a footballer he had been growing up and how he reckoned he was probably good enough to have gone professional and then he explained the reason why, in, in his opinion, he hadn't quite made the grade. And he said that his parents went to church, uh, were Christians, and they told him that he wasn't allowed to play football on a Sunday. Uh, and that had obviously been, and he felt this, a barrier to participating at a more competitive level of the game. And it was one of those conversations, you know, you have a chat with someone, and you think, ah, some stuff now begins to make sense. Because I used to talk about going to church, I was quite open. He always seemed respectful of that, but but never wanted to go there. I never wanted to talk about it in, in, in depth. Uh, and occasionally he talked about uh, his parents, but it was it was never with the warmth and the openness that there was when he spoke about anything else. Because he was a very warm guy, and I remember thinking things just make more sense when he spoke about this this failure. Uh, for his dreams to be uh, fulfilled. It was clearly the source of a lot of pain uh, and a lot of disappointment. It clearly ran very deep. Uh, And my guess is maybe it's a conversation which might strike a chord for many of us uh, as children or or as parents. We may have been in in homes where this very dilemma of sport on a Sunday came up. And I was never good enough at sport to be able to compete uh, at any organised level. But I can still remember not being allowed to watch football on a Sunday. Uh, At one point, we weren't even allowed to have the TV turned on. Uh, And then my parents relaxed these rules, but only to the extent that we were allowed to watch uh, Dickens or Jane Austen. Remember how the BBC, they, they always have these adaptations on a Sunday evening, don't they, or at tea time? So Dickens was allowed, football wasn't. I still remember as a teenager trying to the tease out the moral logic uh, from my parents about why one thing was allowed and one wasn't. Uh, why did binding and leasing take place in my parents' home in, in, in that way? But these, these are things, these are our decisions, sort of moral choices, which impact us and which probably impact us in ways that go by quite, quite deep, either memories from our childhood or maybe things which we might feel are being imposed uh, on us now. And I come back to that conversation with my friend in the office, two men in their early 30s, and one of them talking about what he'd been stopped from doing years ago and, and how it had shaped him clearly ran very deeply for him. And I, I find myself thinking then about all the other things where we choose to take a stand as Christians. So the rules we apply to ourselves or, or others who might be near to us, in our family, in our church, uh, the hills we choose to die on, uh, so to speak, and what impact might our decisions have had in, in ways we barely see or comprehend. So how many people may have felt they were turned away from church because of particular standards or or rules which were insisted upon. How many people have been prevented from serving or participating in church life, prevented from using their gifts fully because of of stipulations we made about who was uh, or who wasn't permitted to lead uh, or minister in certain contexts? How many people might be carrying around a burden of guilt or shame because they feel they've fallen short of certain standards which the church imposed on them? And all these questions have been coming through my mind uh, as I've reflected on this, this this promise of Jesus that you're considering uh, this morning. So this, I think it's the third one in in the series you recently embarked on, and it's these words Uh, which are spoken to Peter. We're focusing particularly on verse 19 uh, from what Hannah read. So if you could have the first slide, Les, thank you. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so you could say there are two promises made to Peter in this verse. So first of all, you've got this one about him being... Given the keys to the kingdom, which, as most of us will know, is, is uh, the line in scripture which has launched a thousand jokes, uh, all of which are based on the assumption of, you know, somebody dies and they go to heaven. And, and Peter is there as the doorkeeper uh, at the pearly gates and, and, and he's, he's checking the register and, and uh, you know, giving admission uh, to who can or, or, or who can't cross him and, and, and get into the, uh, the eternal kingdom. But most commentators reckon that it's it's not really the idea which lies behind that key's comment, and uh, it's not so much about just who gets in, who gets out, but it's it's picking up on language which is found in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter twenty-two, and we read there of uh, someone called Eliakim, who is chief steward of the royal palace in Jerusalem, and he's got responsibility for how the palaces are run. And uh, next slide, please, Les. We're told in Isaiah 22, it says of Elijah that I will place on his shoulders the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. So you can see it's very similar, sort of uh, phrasing and, and, and language to what Jesus says uh, to Peter. And it seems to be more of a statement about the, the overall authority I think Peter has. Uh, of a kind of chief steward. And and interestingly, you go on, you read the the unfolding story of the early church as we find it in Acts. It does seem that Peter emerges as this this leader of considerable seniority. He's a sort of first among equals. Uh, Although it's James who has oversight of the mother church in Jerusalem, uh, it's Peter who plays a particular role, which we'll, we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, of of leading on change and leading on other people being uh, accepted into the the, the early Jesus movement. And that's all bound up with the promise, which I've been asked to focus on in particular, which is what's found in the second half of verse 19. So these words are by binding and loosing. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So what exactly is this about? Jesus is using terminology here, which would have been very familiar to the disciples listening to him. It, it comes uh, straight out of the, the Judaism of Jesus' day. And it refers to an authority which rabbis had to interpret the scriptures they were teaching on. And to say what practices were or were not permitted. Uh, so, what kind of work on the Sabbath? You know, could you get your donkey out of the ditch? That sort of stuff. And if a rabbi said that a particular practice was forbidden, they were binding. And if they said that something was permitted, they, they, they were loosing. They have real power, these rabbis, in, in, in people's lives to say what goes. And now this authority, which has belonged to rabbis, is being conferred on on Peter. And actually, if you read on into Matthew 18, look at Matthew 18, verse 18, you find uh, this promise is restated. Uh, It's an authority being given to other disciples as well. Uh, And it's that passage, which you might remember, has to do with disagreements, you know, what to do if someone sins against you, you go you talk about it on your own, then you take someone with you, then, then the whole church may have to uh, adjudicate on it. So there's, this, there's a similar promise stated there to, uh, to the whole body, if you like, of believers, and it seems to suggest a, a corporate element to decision making as well. And uh, a verse on which countless Baptist church members meetings uh, have, of course, been launched uh, and and based as well. But this is a huge promise Jesus is giving. Hugely significant what he's saying to Peter. This binding and leasing, uh, this authority which has rested previously with with the rabbis, I hand over to you now, Peter. And later he he talks of it being handed over to his other followers. Uh, And the importance of what is happening Here is explained really well by Rob Bell in his book, uh, Velvet Elvis. And uh, I think the quote is on the slide. Thanks, Les. What Jesus is doing here is significant, Rob Bell says. He is giving his followers the authority to make new interpretations of the Bible. He is giving them permission to say, hey, we think we missed it before on that verse. And we've recently come to the conclusion that this is what it actually means. And not only is he giving them authority, but he's saying that when they do debate and discuss and pray and wrestle and then make decisions about the Bible, somehow God in in heaven will be involved. And this is one of the mysterious elements of this passage, which I I still grapple with. It's, It's not, in a sense, we pray and we seek and God reveals and tells us what to do but that actually we, in our decisions and our reflecting and our seeking after God, have this authority, this freedom to to determine outcomes. So that what we bind on earth and what we loose on earth is is accordingly bound and, and loosed in heaven. It's huge responsibility, huge liberty, which is being given to us here, and really important principles. You know, so that when we say that we, we, we are coming together to discover the mind of Christ in a members meeting, when we come together to talk and listen and weigh and sift, God, God is in this. God, God, God is at work. God is among us. And both speaking to us and, and responding to us. But the principles are clearly important as well mm-hmm. as we think about what unfolds in the early church. Uh, And my guess is, I mean, when we think about the role Peter played in Acts, we will remember how the responsibility fell on him to advocate for the full welcome of Gentiles into the church. So do you remember Acts 10? He's got the vision of the food. Uh, It's on the blanket. It's let down from heaven. And it's that vision which leads him to say, at the end of Acts 10, no one should stand in the way of the Gentiles being baptised. He goes on in Acts 15 at the the Council of Jerusalem uh, when the early church are are, are deciding on a hugely significant act of binding and loosing, or specifically loosing. He goes there and and, and he says, you know what? You shouldn't be making it difficult for the Gentiles to turn to God. So so we are actually going to have have a lot of loosing. We're just going to say that if you abstain from sexual immorality and and you abstain from uh, food, which uh, strangle animals uh, and and the meat of strangled animals and blood, that's okay. We are setting a whole pile of things aside. We are going to loose massively because we've got to respond to what God's doing. Look at all these new people coming in, and we've got to decide what matters most and say we're going to go with with the influx, with the arrival, with the need to, to include and adapt. So what Peter is promised here, what he's given a mandate to do, it's something he takes with and runs with. And there seems to be this constant back and forth. Here's what God does. Here's how the early church respond and and, and, and listen in response to what God is doing. It's also worth noting that when you look at Acts, the process doesn't seem to have been all one way. I just want to reflect on that as well. There is clearly a massive inclusion, welcome, gathering in trajectory, if like in Acts. But then there are other occasions when we read of Peter pronouncing judgment on people. Even summoning and calling down the judgment of God. So if you remember Acts 5... It's Peter who speaks judgment on Alice and Sapphira. Do you remember those who present themselves as having given more to the church than is actually the case? It's that very disturbing story about how he, he calls judgment on them. It's Peter who speaks judgment on Simon sorcerer in chapter 8 when he thinks he can, he can buy the power of the Spirit that he's seen in the apostles. So that's something else maybe to bear in mind. That, 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 that there is a, a trajectory, a movement of in gathering and inclusion, which, which seems to be the prevailing mood, if you like, of Acts. But there are times as well when it's the role of the leaders of the, this, this early church to say, actually, no, enough. That there are some things which, which we're not going to allow to be, to be tolerated. We've got to be attentive. We've always got to be asking which uh, behavior fits in which category. And so we see this process of of binding and leasing, and it takes place in the early church, and we see it uh, as a process continuing through our church history. And my guess is many of us here will be familiar. You know, we know ways in which we've seen that process worked out in our own lifetime. Be that about conversations about the role of women in leadership, about the welcome the church offers to those who have been uh, divorced. Uh, I mentioned earlier, many of us will have seen significant changes in the perspectives we have about what you can do on a Sunday. And uh, in our time many of us are thinking afresh about what does welcome look like uh, to those from within the LGBT community. So, what do we do with this? What, what, what do we do with this? We've, we've, we've had the what, <laughs> and then you come with the so what, I, I, I guess. I just want to leave you with a couple of questions, and uh, they've been on my mind uh, as I've been reflecting on this promise of Jesus. Just three things to, to, to ask you to mull over. Uh, next slide, please, Rob, um, Les. First of all, just encourage you to reflect how my God be calling us to bind and release today? Uh, or we may even want to ask a different question who might God be calling us to bind and release? So, in what ways might the prevailing attitudes of our churches, uh, the dominant theology, the viewpoints which prevail, be a stumbling block to those who are on the outside looking in, or even looking on from the margins? Are there people in our churches who feel themselves to be second class members in one way or another? Because what we say from the front or what we teach or what we we project, they feel is keeping them at a distance. I mentioned the issue of LGBT inclusion. I realise that seems to be the major issue many of our churches are working through at the minute. But there are other matters we might want to reflect on. And I'm absolutely not saying that we just move along uncritically with the fashions or attitudes of the world around us. I'm talking here about a process where we seek God, where we wrestle with his words, where we grapple, where, where we ask the Spirit, who Jesus has promised will lead us into truth. Promised. When the Spirit comes, he will continue to lead us into old truth, which uh, seems to me to suggest not something static, not something which is, here's truth, and it, it gets fixed in a moment. But, but we keep moving, we keep seeking. What, what, what do we need to be rethinking in our moment? Uh, and one of the things I also felt cold to say at this point is, you know, there are other ethical considerations we need to be making besides ones to do with sex even if that's what obsesses us, and even that's what we, 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 we choose to, 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 sow, uh, to be so all-encompassing at times. Um, and, and again, this is not just about a constant process of more and more loosing, of more and more relaxing. I found myself wanting to say, what is God calling us to bind as well? Where is God calling us to be more resistant? So we we live in a time when there are huge divisions in our society over issues like Brexit, massive structural and economic injustices. How serious are we about this stuff Uh, and taking a stand on on these issues? You know, there there were movements of the early church who wouldn't accept people coming into the church as, as converts, Uh, if they were gladiators or if they were idol-makers. There were even some strands of the church who said that you couldn't serve for the military and fight for the empire if you were going to be welcomed in. I find myself wondering, do we need to be more serious about issues like this? What are the equivalent ones in our day? Are are there certain political parties which a church member should not join if their agenda is all about race? Are there certain retailers we shouldn't buy from because they refuse to pay taxes or they refuse to to treat their staff fairly? So where's the binding (laughs) and and, where is the loosing? Two other questions. Next slide, Les, thank you. Secondly, what dispositions are needed for those who are involved in in binding and releasing. So if we had time, and unfortunately we don't, uh, another passage of Jesus' teaching we could explore in in light of this passage would be Matthew 23. So the famous seven woes, which are are spoken against the Pharisees. And Jesus rails against them, it's a hard read. Uh, And he describes them as those who don't practise what they preach. You know, you put heavy loads on others. Do you remember, you know, you, you there's this, that verse, and you travel over land and sea to win a convert, and, and then you impose a, a whole pile of requirements on them. Uh, and these words matter because, of, of course, uh, Jesus is speaking to the people who are predominantly responding, uh, or re- sorry, predominantly responsible for binding and leasing in his day. And he's angry with them and he's cross with them because. All they're doing is binding. They're putting lots of impositions on, 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 on others. And maybe if we reflect on what goes and what doesn't go in our churches, you know, we might want to think, how might we fall into the trap of these people in Jesus' time who, who seem, for whatever reason, to be obsessive with control, with micromanaging, Uh, with with constraining personal liberty and freedom. When we bind and when we loose, are, are we people who are aware of our privilege or are we blind to it? Are we aware of the greater impact that an imposition might have on others than it has on us? Are we open to hearing the perspectives of others less fortunate than ourselves? Are we operating from an Acts 15 perspective, which seems to go so much against a Matthew 23 perspective. Acts 15 perspective, Council of Jerusalem that says, we're not going to make a heart for people to come into the kingdom. So there's a question. What does binding and leasing look like in our day? What dispositions do we need for binding and leasing? And then just a, a, a final question. Not just about issues; it's about people. So, who needs to hear our words of binding and loosing spoken into their lives? Do we understand and uh, appreciate the difference this makes in people's lives? And I come back again to my colleague, to my friend, who I, I share at my desk with, that Rogers. Are there some people to whom uh, we need to have the courage to say, in light of Scripture? There's a thing that you're doing in your life, and I don't see how you can carry on in this way. I'm worried about you, and, and I think that to carry on in this way isn't compatible with being a follower of Jesus. And, and I feel like I need to speak truth. Do we realise the, the impact that might have? But do we also understand the impact it can make on someone's life, that the freedom, the, the, the release that can come from a word of releasing. To be able to say to someone, you know what, you can relax, you do not have to feel guilty anymore. You can flourish, you do not have to be ashamed, you do not have to be defined forever by somebody else's perspective that you grew up with. You know what? God loves you and God wants you to use your gifts fully and serve our church. Because the welcome is complete and the welcome is unconditional. Do we do we just grapple with? the difference this makes. What we bind on earth and what we loose on earth, we bind and we loose in heaven as well. We create possibilities for God to work and God to move and God to change and God to transform. So I wonder, do do, do we accept the command (laughs) with all the responsibility it brings and can can we step into it fully with all the potential we might be releasing. Uh, shall I pray? Oh, oh gracious God, um, these, are, these are big words to grapple with. Big, big words to uh, just, just get our heads around. Where, where, where are you speaking to us in this? Uh, is there someone we need to talk to? Is there something we need to go back and rethink? Is there a challenge in our lives? about where we need to to let go and embrace grace, where we need a wake-up call and we need to repent for our complacency uh, or our, our our blindness to what you need to, to unveil to us. So I pray this in your name. I just thank you for the privilege of being with my friends here again. Be with... Uh, the Saints of Alton, as they grapple with these issues and seek your will and purposes uh, for the future. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.